everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. And I'm Jeffrey Lennon. And this is Volume Up by The Tees. Kelly, this is our first episode, and we want to have our listeners get to know us a little bit better. We obviously know each other. We've worked together for a number of years, but our listeners might not know us. Uh, so we thought that it would be fun to, to ask each other some questions uh, and make sure that they, they get to know us a little bit better. You are famously the daughter of a hairstylist. You talk about your mom a lot and what that was like. Tell us a little bit about that. My mother was a salon owner and stylist for 40 years. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I was her helper around the salon. I think if you haven't folded those little towels, that you get your hair wrapped up and dried with, you just haven't lived, right? You've commented about her experimenting with you and your brother's hair over time. What was your most favorite look growing up? Yes, this was, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Yikes. So, I mean, amazing anyway, time to be a child. But the iconic hair, looks. iconic. I mean, the hair, I don't think there was ever a day that my mom wasn't like, hey, Kel, can you fluff your hair up a little higher? Um, so <laughs> that's the world that I lived in. Um, but as far as experiments on me, you know, I had them all. The higher the hair, the closer to God. That's mm -hmm. that's a true life motto for me. Still, fashionable or not, but it's it's real. Uh, my brother really took the cake. I don't know where the inspiration came from, but he had the bleach blonde, longer hair, and he wanted some maybe California beach waves. And you know, like a true stylist that's sick of sitting in the salon, my mom took those darn perm rods home, sat at the kitchen table. She gave my brother a perm. So minutes after the perm was done, she swiftly tried to undo the perm. It wasn't good. It wasn't great. So it's one of my favorite childhood memories, actually, <laughs> to think back on and give my brother a hard time for. R.I.P. perms. Incredible. <laughs> uh, is there a specific or memorable look from your past uh, that you look back on and think that was not the look? I mean, we talked about the 90s being iconic for a lot of styles, but there might've been a miss in there. Is there something that you would definitely not go back to? Yes, for sure. I mean, all of, most of them, let's be real. Sure, sure. But okay. I do think, you know, again, <laughs> if something is sort of scarred in my memory, it's remember when you, well, you didn't probably, but have a really tight little roll um, for a bang, just a one, one curl under a short bang. It was amazing. But you know, that's what I have to say. What about you, Jeff? Each podcast, I, I encourage people to tune in each podcast to really see what color your hair is. So right now we're a dark Brown. We're dark, dark but, Brown. We're quite short. Yeah. We're coming out of the quarantine cut. Uh, but yeah, my hair has been every sort of shade, shape, etc. cetera. Uh, I don't think that I could have pulled off the bang that you're referring to. I've got curly oh, hair and yeah. curly hair and bangs generally <laughs> does not work um, unless you've got a very skilled hairstylist. And we know many of them, but I will just say it's not worked out for me historically. So let's go back. When I first met you, your hair was, you know, you have luscious curls. Let's just put it yep. out there. You've got them. I've got Gretchen Wiener's hair is full of secrets hair. <laughs> um, and yeah, sometimes it's big and, and voluminous, as you alluded to, and other times it's not. Uh, I like to keep myself guessing, frankly, um, and definitely my barber. So there's that. Uh, quarantine has been rough, though, because um, the buzz cuts I'm not great at, candidly. Got to grab so those that. Andis clippers when you can. Am I right? You're right, and I do. And it's still, if you can imagine, doesn't come out the way that, that I would be proud to show off. So, you know, don't look too carefully when Kelly is saying to, to check out our hair. We will not. All right. So in addition to your mom, who was an incredible stylist, long time, putting you through the ropes with, with different hairstyles and your brother as well, uh, you mentioned your dad was an entrepreneur. What was that like for you guys growing up? What was he into? Walk us through some of that. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, I always say my dad was a serial entrepreneur, but can't be remiss and say my mom wasn't as well. Maybe not serial, totally. but started a venture <laughs> and stuck with it for 40 years, which is, is a talent in itself. But, you know, my dad is a wild creative um, and Jeffrey, we've known each other for a while. I think if someone said, hey, 
can you get me to the moon? I'd say, you know what? I just need 48 hours and Elon Musk. We're going to do it. We got this. Uh, so I think growing up in a household where you were free to kind of dream about bigger things and know that failing was okay and part of the journey is certainly stuck with me throughout my career. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about then entrepreneurship and hair being in the blood, uh, which brought you to your first big thing, which was the Evoke Agency. Tell us a little bit about how that got started, where it got started, where it's now. Yeah, that was another sort of kind of wild, wild thought. So I started the Evoke Agency, which is a digital PR agency. We do most of our work in the salon professional and beauty space. And prior to that, I was in the agency world, but nothing as sexy as beauty. So I'd always wanted to be there. Talk about the freedom to dream big and fail. I started Evoke right at the heart of the recession in 2010. I was five months pregnant with my first child call it pregnancy, crazy hormones, but it was all on the table. <laughs> and uh, we started, I started, I say we, because there was a we, right? I, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and sort of, you know, I, I say often the hustle is real, but at that time there were many layers to the hustle. So worked hard for many years and was able to hire some incredible people along the way to help guide the growth and vision of the agency and also incredibly lucky to kind of wiggle our way in with some of the best brands in the industry that are still our clients today. So speaking of wiggling, uh, one of the wiggle spaces <laughs> that we've gotten into is, is PR. Um, and it's been a big chunk of what we've done as an agency uh, over these last 10 plus years. Talk to us a little bit about what the salon professional trade media space has been like. Um, what challenges have you seen for clients? Yeah, you know, the tease was really born out of what we felt was a bit of a, a necessity in the marketplace. And so, you know, working with the beauty trades and having a lot of admiration and respect for them that are out there today, one thing we noticed that there was kind of a lack of innovation from a digital perspective. And so I feel that agencies in the world right now that are thinking one step further, a couple steps further, are bolting on a media brand. So there is a natural amplification tool and outlet for clients to also access. And so with the tease, we incubated the idea for a handful of years. It's grown and evolved and changed and maybe even changed names. Um, but we launched it officially in January of this year, pre what we wouldn't have guessed would have been a <laughs> pandemic. Albeit, I find it incredibly fitting uh, because you know, that's when I started Evoke. It wasn't a pandemic. It was a, a drastic economic downturn. So, you know, I think, again, it was in the cards to stack all the challenges against me and the team. Um, and we're, we're very happy with where we're at from a success standpoint right now. What are brands looking for? So you mentioned it's often natural for media players, whether it's agencies or, or not, to tack on some other engine to help get stories out there. What are brands looking for in terms of, of that? Uh, how should they get their stories out? Like, what does success look like for them these days? Success really for brands, for me right now, and for our, our, our wonderful agency team means content. And I think that is where we were seeing even, you know, traditional consumer media, trade media, they can't keep up with that content play, whether it's ideation on how to bring it to life, whether it's generating leads, it's using social in a very sophisticated way. It's really about content, telling that story, pulling it forward, understanding the algorithms, you know, and there's also a barrier from a pay to play perspective. So it's, it's making sure that yes, you've got it. Yes. Those great stories are being told, but what is that omni-channel approach to amplifying those both from a paid and organic perspective? So the tease for us, we can tap into incredible agency talent, over a decade of understanding what great storytelling is, we can bring that forward, develop those stories, deliver them on a silver platter for brands, and then in turn, amplify them to our audience base of over 820,000. Jeffrey, what do you think about that? What are you seeing from, from an overarching content perspective in the industry? Lots of changes that have not really been picked up in uh, with traditional trade media. Uh, so you talked about pay to play. That's been a huge barrier for new and upstart brands. Uh, there's not been a tremendous amount of innovation. There's not been outreach to independent brands. There has not been a lot of outreach to black owned brands, 
uh, women-owned brands, uh, brands that are started by other folks, uh, brands that cater to queer folks. Uh, there's just so many stories that have not been told um, because of that sort of contingency of, of advertising. Um, and so I think like what we're so excited about the tease is that we can help to amplify those voices, tell those stories, get them out there um, and serve our audience with stuff that we know that they're looking for. Um, so that, you know, you've addressed the fact that so many of them are going to consumer media. We want to bring them back over. There's so many stories to tell within the salon professional space. Um, and we think now is the time to help tell those stories. I think that's so well stated and kind of goes back to our mission of covering hair, beauty, and culture better because we want to talk about the underdog, right? I was on the call the other day with someone saying, we're, we're giving a voice to the underdog. And I thought, wait a second, I love that. So are we. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of wonderful influencer stylists or incredible artists that have, that do have a voice, but what about some of those underserved communities, underserved brands that we can, as the T's, our editorial staff bring back to the forefront or bring to the forefront for the first time? We know that in the salon professional space, the, the big brands have had a lot of um, the market share uh, in terms of what people are hearing and seeing. Um, and I think that with the T's, we're able to help out the, the underdog, the little guy, um, the upstart to help get their product out in front of folks um, because it might be just as good as or better than some of the others. Um, and we love that mix. And then bringing in, if, if you know, at, let's ask the big manufacturers the real questions, right? What does yep. clean mean? What are we doing from a plastic and packaging standpoint? What are your sustainability efforts? So, you know, in, in some ways, giving them a voice to share how they're changing from a corporate responsibility perspective, a diversity and inclusion perspective as well. Absolutely. Jeff, sure. I have to give you some cred on the Instagram feed and the content. I mean, we are more than just a beautiful hair pick. We want to offer, you know, content that is provocative and pushes the envelope and gets people's wheels turning. So kudos to you on that. Follow us at read the T's on Instagram. Hell yes, please follow. So tune in every Monday. We'll talk through some of our favorite articles on the site, our rants about what's going on in the salon pro world and interview founders, tastemakers, and industry icons. After the break, we'll be talking with Ray Savello, former creative director for Aveda. He's connected with other Aveda royalty to start a new color brand. And Jeffrey, I could not think of a better way to kick us off. Today, as our first ever interview, we have Ray Savello, owner of Savello Salons and former global and creative director and vice president of education for the beauty giant Aveda. Ray has some exciting news to share today because quite literally today is the day he is announcing a brand new color brand called Color Space. Ray, you are no doubt a leader and visionary in our industry, and we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Talking about that. No, I'm super excited to be here. I just, I just realized this is the first podcast. And so, I mean, that's exciting for you guys too, right? It's very exciting for you. And it's first for everybody. For, uh, for us, is uh, a lot of first happening here. Lots of firsts. We'll We're happy it. to be here with you. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. All right. So we've been reading through the prep materials and learning more about color space. And it seems like you've really touched on a lot of modern challenges for the hair color world. What was the genesis for color space? Lots of things were happening, I think, uh, at, at a particular, you know, this convergence of, of uh, uh, events going on. The perfect storm, if you will. And so there were a lot of circumstances that were influencing me. I was trying to decide whether I was at the end of my career as, a, as an entrepreneur in the beauty industry. I had certainly been in it a long time and, and it felt like I had done well and I was questioning all of that. And then I realized um, as the industry was starting to change very, very rapidly, at least in my view, uh, I saw that there were, were bigger challenges. And I, and I realized very quickly that the salon industry could potentially be in a lot more trouble Certainly, that was exasperated, of course, by COVID. But we began with the idea that there was an opportunity there, that we could service salons in a very different way. We started to think about how and what that would look like and how there would be mutual benefits for everyone involved. Got it. It makes perfect sense. And I know one of the key kind of points of differentiation or why 
You also started Color Space was to solve some business challenges for colorists and salon owners. And as a salon owner and colorist yourself, how did you identify those challenges? Peel, kind of peel that back for me. And, and what is it solving today? What business challenges is it solving today? Yeah, Kelly, uh, and you know, we, we're all, uh, uh, creativity is about looking at challenges and trying to find perhaps an alternative way of, of solving it. And, and so we took that approach uh, we understood one thing very clearly that the salon industry's uh, business model itself is incredibly vulnerable. It has, uh, it doesn't have a lot of latitude for error. Three hairdressers walk out the door, that business is in dire, dire straits. And, 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 and so we knew that profitability, the business model itself, and we looked at profitability and how could we impact profitability in a positive way? How could we not just support with business education, which is wonderful and amazing teaching how to run their own businesses, but how could we in fact find new ways um, to actually uh, uh, inject cash uh, into that business? So we started, to, we really looked at that and obviously we're salon owners. I, I have also been the distributor for Aveda in Canada for many years. And uh, I understand uh, small business challenges, large group salon challenges. There's a variety of different challenges that each of those levels experience. It's not always the same, but at the end of the day, um, the business model itself is, is what it is today and, and why it's difficult is because if you look back historically, I think it begins with the price of a haircut. If we look back historically at the price of a haircut, if you look 30 years ago, what a haircut cost. So entry level haircut 30 years ago was, old, was about at, a, at, at the better salons and urban centers, we'd say about $25, 20, 25, somewhere in that range. In some places, you know, 17 to 22, 25, but there was this range, and then if you look at what it is today, and it's maybe 35, 40, maybe 45 in some of the, the better salons, and that's entry level getting in. And by the way, that's where all the growth was happening. Pre-COVID, pre all the salons were growing, they were growing at their entry level prices, they weren't growing at their master. So you have this consumer that will only pay so much for a haircut, and yet the cost of living over the same period, 30 years, has gone up it, you know, exponentially, it's gone up. We've, you know, 4% a year just the cost of living. If you just look at that, let alone rents, let alone all the supplies, all of these things. So that model and the profitability continues to be, you know, really, it, it's compromised. And, and so that profit kept shrinking, shrinking. In the 80s, there were perms and people did tons of perms and people kept coming back for blow dries, weekly blow dry. There were a lot of, you know, services which uh, helped the salon to be very busy. And, uh, and we were charging very fairly. And of course, there was great profits in the 80s. Then there was the advent of the retail and hair salon. So that was the, uh, new, then there was the salon spa retail model. And now that model, of course, is uh, again, uh, we've had a big shift. Uh, you know, digital has promoted the shift in society. The consumer is a different consumer today than it was 15 years ago. And that model was very profitable. That model now is also um, a model that needs to be revisited and re-looked at again and, and, and reinvented in many ways. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things I look at and I see that there are challenges in the industry, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's profitability and it's profitability that uh, we looked at very seriously. And, and we knew that we had to come up with all the other uh, important uh, aspects of, of launching a brand. We saw opportunity to support the salon industry. Got it. And okay, I love, I have two things. Number one, first of all, I don't know if you know this, but my mom was a salon owner and stylist in, for 40 years. And so when you said perm in the 80s, automatic flashback to my dad who would get perms. <laughs> the salon I worked in, where men were only allowed to come on, on Monday, uh, Wednesday evenings after hours, and the men were allowed to come, and a lot of them got perms on Wednesday evenings. There you go. I mean, it was Tom Selleck full all the way. Mustache firm. You got it. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> uh, and then second, you know, you talked about some of those things pre-COVID. Talk, talk to me a little bit about how color space, obviously related to color, is really going to help solve some challenges now post-COVID. For me, there, there were, uh, in creating a color line, hair color line, mammoth task. I mean, what a challenge that we took on. First of all, because it's probably more difficult to have a hairdresser change their hair color line than perhaps a wet line. So we didn't actually go about entering into the business as a, as a, a, a product maker and we didn't take the easiest channel on us. So we went into hair color um, 
We had a great understanding of hair color. Uh, we understood how to support the salon from an education uh, perspective. We've always been strong educators. Uh, the team, the group, uh, Lupe Boss, as you know, is my partner in color space. Uh, we were deeply rooted in support. We knew we had to have great product performance. We had no business being here if we weren't going to make a product that was really incredible and incredible so that hair felt great. We also had to have more than that. So we also looked at the environment. We tried our very best to create uh, systems which supported uh, the health of the environment. And so we could uh, approach creating larger tubes, for example, than smaller tubes. And uh, we felt that the environmental footprint uh, could be reduced, certain amount of plastic, and certain number of times that you need to order. So we saw all of those. And then finally, and most importantly, again, we come back to the financial model. And we knew that hair color was a business that certainly was going to be renewable, there was going to be a repeat of clientele coming in on a regular basis. Uh, where haircuts have gone longer now in the cycle of COVID. Well, we know that uh, we know home hair color, for example, grew again through COVID. We know that the companies that specialize in that area. Uh, grew six times during COVID. It's ridiculous how, how that grew. So a lot of people got their hair done at home. And what was wonderful about that is we also did hear from a lot of people how much they appreciate their hairdresser all that much more now because they really didn't enjoy the experience of getting their hair color done at home. So uh, hair color uh, does represent, uh, from a margin perspective, a very healthy, profitable opportunity for the salon. Great. That's, that's super helpful. Thanks for sharing that. I know you also, from a science perspective and formula perspective and even research and development, can you talk to me about the relationship with the University of Milano and sort of some of the things you did there? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, that was the innovation part where we looked at things and we said, we have, we have to work with, with uh, science. We have to look at really what is hair color's chemicals, you know, putting chemicals on, on people's heads. And so we, uh, uh, we went uh, to uh, Milano and uh, we uh, partnered with our, our, our manufacturing partners in, uh, in Brescia, a really beautiful place, about two hours outside of Milano. And we, uh, we then were introduced to Professor Rizzi of the University of Milano, who's a very well published, over 400 published uh, uh, papers. And he's one of the world's authority on the science of color, on how color impacts our lives at every level. He's brilliant. He's just such an amazing, nice guy. And uh, so we got to spend a great, uh, great deal of time with him. And we, we learned the science of how we see, how the wet records the image, how that records onto the brain, how the texture of what the surface we're looking at and how light hits that all impact us. And then our own personal experiences gets pushed into that equation and we see what we see. And we can actually improve the way we see. So we were introduced by him to Monsell, Alfred Monsell, Monsell Atlas. And so we embraced that and said, this can be a great training tool because once you try it once, if you keep doing it, it teaches your eye to see those very subtle changes in shape, just very, very subtle. And it'll help you to be able to see hair color better. And then of course, lighting. The salon suffered greatly with not having great lighting. It's just one of those things that you just never think of. They spend a lot of money on nice chairs and a lot of other decorative things, but the functionality of lighting in the salon is always uh, sort of uh, something they think about at the very end of it all. So uh, lighting, and so we, we brought a, a beautiful, pure white light uh, in that uh, we've introduced in the consultation, and, uh, and also, of course, when you show me, you know, we've all, all of us hairdressers working salon, watch when the, the colorist is checking the hair color with the client, walking them outside so they can see perfect daylight, well, that, you know, we, we, we wanted to go do away with that. So we have painted a beautiful white lights, pure white lights, very well balanced. It represents uh, the pure uh, rays of light at noon. So it's a really well balanced light. Uh, and then uh, what Professor Dietze discovered was that uh, calibration of levels in the world of hair color wasn't actually scientifically balanced. It wasn't measured equally from one level to another. What I mean by that, here's an example. By level one to level two, and then level two to level three, you would think that the space between is equal, scientifically measured equal. And it actually isn't. It's done in a sort of a visual process, a marketing process, but not actually a scientific process. Therefore, when you mix three with one, you expect to get two, and often you don't really get two, you get a version of two, but not actually three. So uh, Professor Vizzi identified that, and, uh, and we worked on creating a, uh, a hair color, perhaps the first hair color in the world that's fully calibrated. So you can mix three with one and you will get two. 
mix half and half, you will get two. There will be no variation. Okay, that's unbelievable. And can you answer me this question? Why has a color manufacturer or why haven't any color manufacturers went down this road before? You know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, having uh, worked in, you know, in larger uh, environments, uh, you know, the, the smaller, newer, we get to see perspectives that perhaps aren't available. It's just simply seeing things differently. And, uh, and then, you know, people call that being disruptive, when in fact, you're, you're just small, and you're agile, and you're fluid, you know, you're able to do things very quickly. And everyone's like, well, that's a disruptive. Well, is it really a disruptive baby? Because everybody else is kind of got a blanket and they move slowly and very lethargically. And there's got to be lots of signatures before anybody will really contemplate it. Small could see the opportunity and all we had to say, yes, yes, we, we, we want to do that. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that we will see other companies do this as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, for now, it may be a point of difference for us. All good things like this are usually replicated as compliments. Maybe we can help. So speaking of your background, our understanding is that you're not the only Aveda alumnus on the color space team. So how did you put together the brain trust for a project that's as big as this, as innovative as this? You might laugh, you know, because people typically have a, a real science uh, to what they do. And, uh, and I do for certain matters. But in this case, uh, I really set out at this point in my life to only work with nice, kind, cool, caring, talented people. And I really didn't want to work with any more assholes. I didn't want to be involved. I just chose differently. And I, I think that the hooks in the brain, the law of attraction was, uh, was at work here. And, uh, and the people that really um, come together in a very short period of time and, and the hours that they put in. I mean, all throughout COVID, there were people working on, on Zoom from morning well into the evening you know, having dinner together, working on curriculum, working on, because we were very fortunate. We did all of our product testing just before COVID. So we were able to get that. And, and the gift was COVID because it gave us the gift of time to really focus and be able to do This product is born in COVID. It's born out of COVID. It really is a, a byproduct, very positive outcome out of, out of COVID. I don't think we, I was talking to another colleague of mine in the industry of veterans. He said, I cannot believe how quickly you have done this. He said, I have never seen anyone put anything together as quickly as you have. He said, from everything, from concept to all your collateral to your education. And I, and I did say, I said, the reason for that was, you know, COVID gave us an opportunity. He said, no, that was your drive. That was you. That was you. Gave. I said, I'd like to take credit. But the truth is, it's that whole team of really nice, kind, caring, and very talented people that I get to work with. So you alluded to uh, Lupe Voss, former North American art director for Aveda, uh, as one of the team members here with Colorspace. How did your partnership with Lupe come to be? Uh, Lupe and I have been friends uh, for many, many years. I, I think she may even say that I may have been a mentor to her for, for, for a number of years. I don't know if mentoring is really what I did, but I certainly was there having long conversations uh, over the years and, and certainly tried to help guide uh, some big decisions in her career. So I think I've been there. Uh, along the way with her and uh, she's just such a beautiful human being to begin with and I think she's the most talented hair color educator that uh, that I've ever ever had the pleasure of working with and so you get nice you get talented you get caring and hardworking. what else do you need I mean it was easy for me to uh, have that conversation with her in fact we were just talking and I was telling her that I was coming to the end of one chapter of my life and moving into another. And she was telling me that she was contemplating the same, you know, with her salon and, and her work with uh, Hair Color Magic. And I said, why don't we do something together? Why don't we, why don't we make a hair color line? And I, I, I'm not joking when she said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. And it was really something, uh, maybe a little naive <laughs> to think that we actually could. <laughs> However, uh, that was the, uh, the seed, the beginning of Color Space was that relationship and, and conversation. So we are we are partners in color space, which is wonderful. Incredible. You would mention that, and maybe some of our listeners know about Lupe from her work with Hair Color Magic and education. Uh, how is education going to factor into the work that you guys are doing with color space? Well, it's the driver. Right? It's the heartbeat. It's what, you know, hair color and, and hairdressing is education driven. It's education driven. It always has been. I ask why I'm I became a, an educator in the industry uh, you know, right at a very early age, three years into the industry, and I've been doing it ever since. So I, I'm a big 
a huge supporter. I see the growth. I know it works. And, and uh, we, we knew we had to have a strong team. And, and Lupe uh, has, uh, has created an incredible team of individuals um, that are just all really outstanding um, educators. So I think we have, we have great curriculum. We have great tools. We're working a lot of digital tools. Of course, that, that is our entry into the, the world that we're in right now will, will be digital. Uh, we do hope, of course, that we want to get back into the salons. Who doesn't? Uh, who doesn't want to be with people again? And, um, and we, uh, we're very hopeful that that will be sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, we're preparing for the digital world that we live in and, and how to best do our job of educating and training and develop. So, you know, all the conversion classes to basic uh, training, uh, basic technique, uh, classes that we're doing, and then of course some fun uh, and creative techniques and formulations as well. So there's a, a wide range, really robust curriculum, quite natural to us. And and I you know I, I always will come back to this. I think that what you get with Lupe is not only the knowledge, the innovation of the way that we work at it from how we see first versus how the product works. It's how do we see first? We know and, and we understand how we see uniquely then how then can this product perform for you at its best? And we look at how individuals learn, all the different ways in which they learn. So we try to create curriculum that would appeal to more than one type of learner. And in addition to that, we have enthusiasm. If you, I hope you'll talk to Luca because she's super enthusiastic. And, uh, and, um, and then there's, the, of course, the caring part. Uh, we really genuinely care. We're, we're not on stage to make ourselves look good. That, that's, you know, that's not of interest to us at all. We don't care about that. Um, we, we're here to help. We're here to, uh, to, uh, to find other really nice, cool, and caring people and, and, and try to do a good job in a real partnership. I and mean, this is a true model of partnership. It's not, it's not something that uh, you know, isn't sustainable and isn't substantial in, in what it's going to do. You've addressed that education is really driving, is the heart of color space. Um, and you've talked about your experience as an educator as well, in addition to Lupe. How does your experience as a multi-location luxury salon owner and all of your years with Aveda make this line different in addition to education and the innovation that you've talked to us about? Yeah, um, you know, uh, Jeffrey, you know, that if you didn't come to market with something different to begin with, you, you wouldn't really have a place. So the story mm-hmm. has to be different. And we touched on that in the interview with the science of it being quite different. Um, again, I, I think the performance had to be better. I mean, benchmarking that we did, we knew we had to have a, a very premium performance product. Great coverage. It's, it sounds easy. It's a lot of products that don't do it well. So, you know, something that simple, uh, you know, a bleach that leaves the hair feeling better. Uh, things are along that line. So using uh, you know, natural ingredients, to addition, to, uh, to add moisture and sealants, all of those things were considerations. We knew we had to have a, a real high performance product. We talked about education. How can you not have a great education program have to and we knew that we really had to provide the salons with financial relief we knew that we knew that we had to come up with a different way of doing things and uh, we focused on all all three of these areas equally and i think that's why we're different my salon has always been my lab my salons have always been the lab it's always mm-hmm. been the lens that i can see that i'm fortunate that i have a beautiful network of, of wonderful salon owners all across north america and also in europe and so we talk to each other all the time. And, you know, we all are sharing in, in this. One of the great things about a pandemic or crisis is people come together. Nice, kind, cool, caring people come together. And this group of my friends, we shared everything, helping each other. I think the industry has done such a good job to help each other to really get to a better place. And so that same spirit lives in the brand. It had to be great. It had to have a better financial model. You had to have the support to make sure those who were embracing it we're going to be successful. You mentioned your relationship with other, you know, salons and kind of the network you've built over the history of your career. And, and also that, you know, converting color or switching over color lines is really challenging for salons. How do you feel or what's your approach to making that happen for salons? To saying, hey, here's color space. This is why we're different. Take me, yeah. take me six months forward on that journey. And, you know, we, we've uh, certainly spent a lot of time discussing why we want to be different. And I, and I would say that one of the first things that we recognized was that uh, we, we were never going to sell anything to anyone. And that was really important to us that, uh, that we understood and respected that people would only want to engage with us and do business with us if they really felt that the product 
performance first, and that's where you used to have the testing portion. So we are going to be testing a lot of products. We're sending out a lot of kits um, to, uh, to people so they can test the product. And then we'll engage in a great dialogue and, and find out if they liked it, if they did not like it. And if they didn't like it, that's going to be very helpful for us as well. We're very open to hearing all of that feedback because we want to be uh, responsible and responsive to those things so we can make appropriate changes if we need to. Uh, so I think the engagement of, of bringing people in through digital, obviously through education lens, or we're going to be doing a lot of uh, Facebook Live eventing over the next couple of months uh, so as to be able to share what the product will do and, and how great it really is. Um, and I think if I'm a salon or a stylist, if you told me this product will do everything that your product's doing and then some, and, is, and, is, and you, you're really, you really are confident in the performance, and then I can share with you that I have this wonderful team of people that will support you. We have, we'll have you know, a chat line. We will have support available all the time for you. You run into a crisis, you have a client sitting in your chair, you need help, we'll have somebody available for you. So the support is going to be there. And so it's not a traditional sales model. We don't have you know, people out in the field knocking on your door. We don't have any of that. Our education team is your support team and call center the customer service uh, will support you with any of your other needs. And then I think if we can show you the financial model, if I can show you what you're using on calculator and show you what it looks like after one year with one stylus, if I can show you what it looks like with five stylus after one year or five years or 10 years, and I can show you in some cases against some other competitive brands that we probably, can, can, it's mind boggling over 10 years, how much money you can save. It's really, it's amazing. Uh, that's not what we're leading with. We, we're not leading with that. It's the performance and the education is what we're leading with. But I think for a salon owner today, there's a real need out there. And there's a, there's, there's, everyone is extending their hands for help. Quite frankly, the stock market isn't returning their hands back out again. That's not happening. You know, so uh, nothing, nothing against, you know, the evolution of how brands have gone and done what they've done. But who's reaching out to the salons today? Who's really helping the salons today? And so you've asked me, what does, what does the industry mean? I would say it needs more caring companies. I think it needs more companies that really care. That's what it means. I agree. I think that, you know, one of the reasons I love this industry so much and, and experienced it in my childhood is because of the sense of community and caring. And so there's been, you know, in the last few years, a lot of large companies sort of buying up smaller companies to make larger conglomerates. And maybe some of the care is lost in there or doesn't get translated down to the end user, which is the stylist. So I certainly understand your perspective on that. Ray, do you have any specifics beyond sort of greater care for stylist and end user? Like what other improvements um, do you feel, given your experience within this industry for so many years, that big brands, small brands, ought to be considering when they're they're going to market. It sounds like color space has already made use of so many of these learnings. Well, let's begin with uh, the, why would you want to be in the beauty industry? There's really only one reason. I'm not, you're not going to find a whole lot of investors coming to the beauty industry, the hair industry in particular, and saying, hey, gosh, I think I'd like to open a hair salon. And, you know, it, it's, it would be someone obviously quite naive, because it's not where, if you were looking to invest, where you would put your money. And I've had lots of friends over the years ask me if they could invest in hair salons and would I help them. And, and uh, I've done my best to be honest with them. And then they obviously return the question back, why are you in it if you know all of this? And the simple answer is I love the industry. And, it, and it's as simple as that. I love the industry. I've always loved the industry. This industry has provided an immense amount of opportunities for growth personal professional growth for me. It's provided experiences that I, I don't know that I could ever have had. And I feel very fortunate and full of uh, a lot of gratitude for the people in this industry. And I, I, and I feel that it's my role to help the industry continue to progress, to get better, and to continue to get better in every which way. Um, because uh, if I didn't, I'd be walking away maybe at a time when maybe there's a lot more need. So if I was giving advice, I would say, be sure you love this industry because it's not going to be easy. This is not a, an easy path to, to, to go down by any stretch. Uh, and you, you really do have to love the hairdresser. You have to love this, this business. And I think that one of the things that I love to tell people all the time is, you know, we often only see ourselves as crafts people. 
you know, that's that we just have this craft and then we cut it with color. And I think you have to be the most brilliant craftsperson you could possibly be. I think you have to practice the craft all the time. I think you, if, if you don't, you don't do yourself justice. You challenge yourself to say, how good can I be at cutting and styling and coloring? How good can I be at this? Because it's only with practice that you have a set of gifts, but it's only with practice and practice and practice that you refine that and get it to that place where magic starts to happen, where you're immediately able to visualize and your hands are able to create what you see. Uh, that's, the, that's that high level, you know, starting off with not knowing what you don't know and knowing what you don't know and then knowing what you know. And then not, now you know so much, you don't even know how much you know. And getting to that, that evolution, right? And getting there. Uh, it takes practice and practice and practice and learning, you know, but I, I think there's another piece to the industry that I always, and I've been a proponent of it since we started, is if we could just realize how much good we actually do in society, what we really provide. There's a study that's coming out of the University of Russia. One of the things that they discovered, sadly and tragically, and I think we all know this, was that 60% of men and women coming out of COVID had been physically or verbally abused, and that the divorce rate, of course, was sky high as well. That abuse is very severe and very harmful. And when they asked the same group of people why they went back to the hair salon, the reason, the number one reason they gave was to go back to the hair salon was to preserve their self-dignity, to dip back into the well and bring back their, their own integrity, their discipline, their, their self-dignity, who they, who they loved about themselves. There is just nothing more satisfying than, than making somebody feel beautiful and confident. And I always thought that too with my mom. It's, it's rare that somebody walks out of salon not feeling better than when they walked in. And I would say that's, that's probably far and few between in industries, right? I don't know any other industry that can do that. So that's amazing. But you, you talked about kind of your entrepreneurial journey, and obviously you're a wildly entrepreneurial, multiple endeavors. What is one thing that you learned in creating color space that you thought, huh, that's new? What did I learn? I learned so many things that I did not know. It's been a real journey, I mean, a real learning journey. Uh, and, you know, one of the primary purposes for being is to learn. So, you know, we learn... We learned a lot about chemistry, for certain. Um, the idea that we all saw uniquely was, was definitely a big eye-opener, especially when it was broken down. I always knew it theoretically and conceptually that, you know, we all unique people. And, and in this beautiful world of diversity, we welcome all those perspectives, hopefully. We welcome them because it enhances the way we can all see it when all of us choose to at least respectfully look at how other people might see things. So I, I really, uh, I like that a lot. I liked all the alignment that took place. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of it, I was interested in how much of it uh, fell together succinctly. And so I do believe that if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing at the right time in your life, I think things flow beautifully. I think if, if you come to it with that intention, it flows. And so I learned uh, to uh, not try to control, <laughs> uh, which I have a tendency to want to maybe sometimes over overly so and unnecessarily so, and that I'm um, very fortunate that I get to work with such gifted people. This is a real collective of people. And, you know, that's my think tank. That's how the whole thing really started in a sense was I just wanted to be around nice people. And that's where we, we, we created collective beauty brands. That was the, the, you know, the beginning, the seedling for it to, create that and, and then have somewhere where entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking could take place so we could start creating beautiful brands with color space. I love that. And I love the saying about, you know, working with nice people. Somebody told me many years ago and, and I, straight up stole that philosophy and the fact that at evoke and the tease we only we only hire nice people and we only work with nice clients and i think that you know there's been a time where sometimes people don't fit that but life is too short right uh so i love that we're aligned on that for sure me too me too oh i i, I really uh, i i think in, especially in that creative environments you know there's always going to be a variety of personalities strong and softer personalities and um, and uh, there just tends to be a, an awful lot of uh, temperamental, self-serving types of personalities that get attracted to the creative uh, arts and hairdressing. And, 
Um, certainly, I, you know, I've coached, I've trained, I've managed lots of those people along the way. And uh, in this round, I want nothing to do with it. I'm, uh, I, I'm not, I, I mean, you could almost say you're arrogant if you think you can change uh, those people's behaviors. It's a little bit of arrogance, you know, who made you capable? <laughs> I'm not capable. Uh, those people are responsible for their own behaviors. I'm not responsible for it. And so I let them be who they are and I choose to, uh, uh, you know, put the uh, aura protection on in the day, in the morning when I start my day and try to stay around and go around and don't let it block your own energy. Well, Ray, thank you so much for walking us through what Color Space is going to be doing. We are incredibly excited for you. We think that this is going to be really, really successful. Before we wrap up, we've got this segment that we call Quick Take, in which we are asking every guest the same question every episode. Uh, so we are looking forward to some quick takes from you on the following. Okay. All right. So the first question that we've got is, brand or product that you're loving right now that is not your own? Don't love brands as much as I love design. I really okay. love packaging design. I love the innovation. I like these guys Wisconsin water bottles that have this wonderful, you know, silicone. It's a plant-based silicone sleeve. That's what I love. I love design. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, okay. We're feeling that. That's incredible. Uh, what are you streaming in your downtime? We know that you don't have a lot of it. You're developing a product line during COVID. So when you're not doing that, what are you up to? You're going to laugh, but... Um, uh, I am uh, I am the proud, enormously proud dad of an 11 year old boy, and we are every night watching Star Trek. It's well, it's our time together. Uh, we're into, it's two episodes tonight. By the way, it's two, it's Friday. It's it's pizza night. Um, I don't know if you know I'm a pizza yolo. I make pizza and I make it from scratch. Oh. I spend as much right. time studying the art of making pizza than I do almost anything else. I watch videos from Italy, from everywhere. And uh, I have a new fermentation process that I'm doing uh, tonight. So I'm really excited about what happens to the dough. Uh, so we make pizza, I make four pizzas. And then we're, and we're gonna watch uh, our wonderful Star Trek. We're watching Discovery right now, we're on Discovery. So we actually we watched the very first episode of Star Trek, right, with Captain Pike, and then he disappeared, right, with a spot that had furry eyebrows and he yelled all the time. And then they changed his character, I guess, they. The pilot wasn't so good for Spock. <laughs> uh, and so we're, uh, we're watching Spock's sister the, uh, is the hero of the year. If you're not a Trekkie, uh, my son has uh, learned very quickly how to every time we uh, watch video. Yeah. <laughs> you're a Trekkie. There you go. <laughs> I was very into Deep Space Nine, so this is right up my alley. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> let us know when you get there. Uh, okay. Real talk, quick words of advice for someone who wants to get to the top of the industry. So before you were talking about how to get started, but somebody who wants to sort of mirror your career, for example, what's the, the quick take on that? Uh, quick take would be start with being nice, be kind, be appreciative, um, be respectful. You know, I, I know they all sound like mom and dad uh, kind of advice, but they really do and are important in this world. And people do appreciate that you are nice and kind and, uh, and you, uh, uh, you know, show respect to other human beings. I think those are very important qualities. I think be open to learning, uh, less judgment, much more open to learning, right? You're gonna, it's easy to be judgmental, uh, but if you're gonna be judgmental or, or critical, make sure that you have at least a suggestion on how things might be better. Don't just, you know, shout out your, your criticism. A lot of people will watch someone else do some work as they're learning, as they're growing, and they'll think, I already know how to do that. But I will tell you, there's always something to learn. It doesn't matter if you've seen it three times already. And you might even think that the person who's showing you is inferior and talented. I guarantee you, if you pay attention with an open mind and open heart, you will still learn something. So stay open to learning. Um, Forrest used to always say, my teacher, he, Horst Mecklenburg, a little bit, he used to say, always be a student, don't ever become a master. Always be a student. Stay open. Keep it open. Keep the channels of information coming in. Uh, so I think the, the work ethic uh, I know it's very personal and, and very different for everyone, um, but um, you know we, we're we're a team right now, very you know, mighty little team. We're we're uh, we're actually thirty strong. It's growing, and but um, we're all still here, and we'll work all weekend. And and so the number of hours that you put into something and the quality of those hours has a direct consequence. So if you think you can do it for less hours, please show me. I'm open to learning, 
but I haven't figured that one out yet. So I, I think, um, you know, if, if, uh, if I could give advice on that part, I'd say don't, uh, don't ask for less hours. Don't ask for weekends off or take time off. Always be there for your clients. And, and if anybody comes into town that's teaching, always, uh, you know, offer to assist, be back behind the scenes, hold bobby pins, do whatever, but stay close to the teachers and find mentors. Mentors are really, really important. All you got to do is ask the universe. They always send one. Sometimes short term, sometimes long term. And mentors in a moment, in a changing, a mentor, when you meet that person for the very first time, is the beginning of a significant change in your life. And that's why it's important to call out mentors. It's very important to remember that. That's it. My path. Now, take care of yourself. Take care of you. Maybe more importantly than anything else. Because you're no good to anyone at all if you don't keep, take care of you. Take care of your body. Take care of you. Do some exercise. What's walking, Pilates, yoga, whatever it is, do something. Ride a bike. But get that physical, get the adrenaline, get your heart going. Right? And, uh, I, I, you know, then I think mentally, you know, read, uh, challenge yourself, learn to play instruments, challenge yourself all the time to grow, to, to fall more in love with yourself. And then uh, reflect and, and always be grateful. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Stop comparing yourself. There's always going to be somebody better, somebody worse, somebody smaller, somebody bigger, somebody richer, somebody poorer. It's a, it's a, it's a dead end. There's nothing to that, that thinking process, you know? Love you. Love you. And keep falling in love. Make a better you every day. Uh, that's the key to, to really, and that drives all those other behaviors to success. So you mentioned the universe a couple of seconds ago there um, and significant change. So we're on the cusp of 2021, thank God or whatever. Um, so what are your predictions uh, for the industry, for the world? What are you thinking? Well, yeah, this is, this is significant. I mean, there's been a shift. Of con there's a consciousness shift here. People are different and the world is different and we can never go back. People say, well, I can't wait till we go back. You're not going back. There is no back. It's uh, they shut the lights off on back. It's gone. Yep. It's, not, it's not what we are. We're here now. This is amazing right now. Right now is beautiful. If you can see it that way, it's beautiful. And, and I know there are tough days. I know I mean, lockdown and isolation, it's tough. And the new opportunities, I think, are much more in the digital space. Um, and utilizing uh, the digital space in a productive way and positive, not in a negative because there's a lot of, you know, manipulation, as we know, there's a lot of things that in the negative space are not necessarily any better for anyone. Um, but um, I think uh, the hair salons, uh, I think, uh, have been beaten up pretty good. Uh, most really good hair salons are, are probably 30% down from where they were pre-COVID. And without uh, the support of government subsidies, I'm not sure any of them will even still be in business. I think kind of breaking even and holding on, but that faucet's about to be turned off and everybody's going, we need to get more guests, more clients back in the door. We've got to really get back on the recruitment train. And those are the basics and foundations that built those businesses. So there's going to have to be a lot more work done in that area. Um, I think that, uh, you know, obviously with COVID, uh, there were many, many people that changed their place of employment, more so than at any other time, because what, what COVID did was it actually created a ground zero. So if I was going to leave before, I would be worried about leaving because I would be leaving at a time when I'd be very busy. And those clients, those guests of mine might still go to that salon. In this case, I could now choose to go somewhere else and start over and they could start over with me. It, it, it presented a much more positive opportunity. And a lot of them left because they wanted to be in their own private space. So the suites grew dramatically. Uh, we saw a lot of a lot more growth on, on suites and uh, or booth rental, if you like. Uh, I think that there's been some very interesting uh, development there, and spaces have become much more luxurious and, and more welcoming. And I think uh, um, that's pretty interesting too. Um, and and I think um, the the uh, the cycle here uh, is interesting because that's a short term reaction. So what happens after that? Typically you know, things will settle down and, and then we'll see how that all evolves. I think now we accept wholly that suites are a legitimate member of the family. I think the chair rental salon is a legitimate member of the family. I think the commission salon is also that. But in order for everyone to succeed and be 
and live together and prosper and have an industry that continues to grow, we all have to realize that there's going to be some changes everywhere. We've all got to make some changes in order for everybody to be successful. I do see some hybrid salons. It's already started, and I think we'll see more hybrid salons. So it looks to the consumer, to, to that person that comes in to get their haircut, which is just like a hair salon, wouldn't know any different. And everybody still works like a team to support one another. But the compensation package behind the scenes might be completely different. And I think that that, uh, I think is because for a salon owner, and certainly if they get to a certain point in their life, if they lose five people and have to rebuild that salon, no matter how good their feeder system is, the young ones coming in are only going to generate about 50% of the revenue that the people at the master level match. So it's, it's very difficult, and this repeats itself over and over and over again. And you know, I, I think for a lot of salon owners, it beats them down, and it's like, you know, they just don't want to keep doing this because it's an endless cycle. Yeah, they just get it going, they start to see some part the culture is wonderful, and then three people leave in a year. And three people, it could be a half a million dollars for some people, or $300,000. It's a lot of money, and salons don't have that kind of buffer built into the model. So uh, I do think that, yes, we, we are looking at uh, some evolution on the, on the business side, too, on, on, on what that model looks like. But I also think there's a real healthy place for wonderful, uh, you know, great salons with team as the culture, where leadership has great vision, great structure. I think different individuals are going to be attracted to different things. And I do think that some of the people that left to go to suite um, will be missing that structure. And and perhaps we may see some of that population return back into the uh, more structured salon world. So I think there's a place for everyone. I don't think there should be any threat for people. I think, you know, people are going to really choose where they want to spend their life. And that's very important. We all recognize that. Ray, thank you so much. That was absolutely amazing. I think we covered it all. And then some, you are incredibly inspirational. Before we go, I want to let everyone here know where we can find you. And that is at colorspacehair.com. And on Instagram, it is colorspace underscore hair. Well, you guys were wonderful too. And I, you know, I know this was your first one, but I think you guys did a great job. I think it was thank fantastic. You. Great time. Thank uh, you. <laughs> clearly, uh, what was enjoyable was how much you understand this industry. And it's not often that you'll get an interview with people that really do. And, and it, it sounds to me as well, like you care and you want to see change and you want to see progress happen too. And so it was great to be able to spend time talking about viewpoints on what's going on in the industry. And and certainly of course, the exciting uh, new arrival of something different in the color space. Amazing, we're looking forward to it. Well, thank you very much guys. Thank you. Great. And uh, next time maybe uh, we're together in the same city, I make pizza. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we're coming over for pizza. I was going to say, we just got to get out of this country. (laughs) (laughs) Easier said than done. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ray. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Jeffrey, what an interview. How amazing was Ray? I'm so excited. I learned so much. Color space sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to basically everything. Uh, I want to feel the tubes in my hand. He keeps saying that they're bigger. This is a good thing. I want to see what that's about. Yeah. Not to mention the education, right? Lupe, it sounds like she's got it dialed in and their team is ready to roll. The education, uh, the light system that he was talking about, that sounds really interesting. I want to see that in action. I feel like there's nothing but really cool things coming from them, which is exciting. I agree. What a visionary. Hey, one of the best things to come out of 2020, color, space. space. We're here for it. Bring (laughs) it on. (laughs) Plus Ray making homemade pizzas. Come on. Yeah. You mentioned a fermentation he's got happening tonight. I don't know what that means in relation to pizza, but again. Follow up subsequent (laughs) podcast interview. That's the next episode for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeffrey. It was a great one. Have a good one, guys. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned. Next week on The Tease, we're talking to a badass female founder who's bringing product innovation from Europe here to the US of A. Remember, we'll be dropping new episodes every Monday. Look for volume up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen. 
Be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease. And send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. Thank you.